0: Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that you have kept for us so that we might know you. We pray that you would help us to understand it and to respond to it with faith and obedience. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, sad songs say so much, also says Elton John. Ironically, in a, sound, in a song that doesn't sound very sad. But for most people, I think there is a strong connection between music and emotions. There is a whole genre of music named after an emotional state, the blues. Blues music was born out of the African experience of people who were taken to America and enslaved. As I frequently take funerals and weddings, I see how music is used in those services, sometimes well, sometimes not so well. I'm reminded of the bride who spent the best part of an hour at the rehearsal practicing her entry so that we would get to enjoy My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion for the whole of its entirety. Maybe me wish I was on the Titanic by the end of it. <laughs> and so you get to see in those moments the emotional impact of music on people. Music is a powerful way of reflecting emotion, particularly sadness. As we come to the Bible, and the book of Psalms in particular, and Psalms 42 and 43, we see an example of what, we, uh, what are called Psalms of Lament. These Psalms are usually written by someone going through very difficult circumstances. Uh, some state of suffering or danger. Uh, perhaps it is sickness. Uh, it may be the attack from an enemy. Uh, betrayal by a trusted friend or personal sin. Perhaps the most famous example we have uh, is from Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down and there we wept as we remembered Zion. Ironically, most of us who are over the age of 30 hear those words but cannot but think of Boney M's classic 1978 disco hit. Again, not a very sad tune if you remember it. These words originally came from the greatest tragedy in Israel's history, when God's judgment came in the form of the Babylonian Empire who came upon Israel, uh, destroyed them, destroyed the temple and took them away to Babylon in exile. And we see that uh, adding to the pain that is sometimes expressed in these kinds of psalms is the seeming silence of God. These psalms are songs of faith but they are not songs of a kind of happy, happy, joy, joy, faith. Some of these psalms are written out of the pits of human experience. And sometimes the faith that is expressed in these songs is less like an immovable oak tree and more like a slender thread. Where is God in the midst of my pain? Is a common refrain in some of these psalms. Uh, and in Psalm 42 and 43, which I think actually do form one psalm, we have this refrain that appears three times. Across the two Psalms. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Saviour and my God. These two Psalms are an example of this genre a psalm of lament, a song of complaint, and of desperate request. And the first thing we see clearly from this psalm is that. Christians are people who desire to know and experience God intimately. Verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Apparently a person can survive for about three weeks without food, but will only on average survive three to five days without water before they die. And the psalmist likens his need for an experience of God to the deer and its need for water. He has a thirst, a desire for God. And that is because, in part, the human heart is always up for grabs. We're always seeking to be fulfilled. St. Augustine, in the 4th century, said, God, you have formed us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in you. It's a Christian person who, like this psalmist, desires to know and experience God intimately. And if you were here this morning, a Christian person sitting here in church, you may be able to look back over your life and think about the question, how well have I come to know God? No doubt you can look back uh, and see times where you have increased in your knowledge about God. I know there are several people in the room who've given over time to full-time study. About God, You may think of a book that you read or a period of life in which you came to know much more about God. You grew in your knowledge about him. But I think actually knowing God intimately comes as we take what we know about him and live with him. Live under him over the course of many years. Especially as we get through times that we might... Describe as difficult times, times in which we might sing and identify with these sad songs. It's as we do that for many years that we come to know him intimately. And the writer of this psalm, I think, demonstrates this kind of knowledge of God. Well, secondly, Christians are people who know that all is not as it should be. One of my favourite Christian writers is a fellow called Carl Truman. He's quite a provocative writer and he's an Englishman working in the US. And of these two Psalms, 42 and 43, he questions what place Psalms like this have in contemporary Christianity at all. In an article entitled, What Can Miserable Christians Sing? He says of the diet of generally chirpy and cheerful songs that... Uh, we have in current day churches, he says, Perhaps the Western Christian church feels no need to lament, but then it is sadly deluded about how healthy it is in terms of numbers, influence and spiritual maturity. Perhaps, and this is more likely, it has drunk so deeply at the well of modern Western materialism that it simply does not know what to do with such cries and regards them as little short of embarrassing. Yet the human condition is a poor one. And Christians who are aware of the deceitfulness of the human heart and are looking for a better country should know this. A diet of unremittingly jolly choruses and hymns inevitably creates an unrealistic horizon of expectation which sees the normative Christian life as one triumphalist street party, a theologically incorrect and pastorally disastrous scenario in a world of broken individuals. He's arguing here that this psalm allows us to do what contemporary Christianity perhaps has disallowed us that is to sing sad songs to pray desperate prayers to say to God yes it is well with my soul but it is hurting too and of course this psalm is littered with such ideas verse 3 my tears have been my food day and night uh, Verse 5, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Verse 9, I say to God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Verse 10, my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? The psalmist is confronted by the fact that his enemies, who are presumably God's enemies, are in the position of power. God is his rock, he says, verse 9. But God's existence presents a problem. God is there, but why does he seem absent? Why is he silent? Why is he inactive? (coughs) All is not as it should be. Well, that leads us to see the next point, that Christians are people who are not yet at home. And this psalm, the psalmist, is writing from a place that is not his home. It's not his spiritual home. For some reason, he is separated from the worship of God that takes place in the temple. He can only remember the procession, the happy procession of people going up to the temple of God where they gathered for worship. Psalm 42 verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Now I can say to you in all honesty that uh, for the year in which we have lived here in the St George region of Sydney, we have felt very much at home. We've been very pleased with how quickly we have felt at home here. But I do remember an experience when, uh, having moved from the Lower Blue Mountains to George's Hall, uh, having lived in the Lower Blue Mountains for about seven years, uh, it took a while to feel at home. We'd been living in George's Hall for about 18 months. And I remember going up to the Kutuba Men's Convention And on the way up, I stayed in the Lower Blue Mountains at the home of a friend that we knew from the church there. And I remember laying in bed that night thinking to myself, oh man, why did we we move? I had this experience that the home that I was living in didn't yet feel like home. And now that I'd gone back to my old place, that still felt a lot like home. And it was quite a realisation that my heart, at some level, was still in the old place. But it was just a few months later. Uh, We were coming home from holidays. We drove up the driveway at George's Hall, got out of the car, got into the house, and there was this really strange but undeniable feeling that, yes, at last, this new home felt like home. Just felt it. This is home. And the psalmist is writing from a place that is definitely not home for him. He's in the land of Jordan to the north of Israel. We don't know why he's there. We don't know why he can't get back to where he wants to be. For some reason, he's in the region of Mount Hermon and Mount Mizar to the north. He can see his homeland, but he cannot return, cannot participate in the worship of God. He cannot go to Jerusalem and down into the temple, which is very much... the the purpose and the point of the Promised Land. You might remember Moses going to Pharaoh and saying, God says, let my people go so that they might worship me. What he misses, we see in verse 4 of Psalm 42, what he misses is his home and, and the fact that he is away from the Lord and the ability to truly worship the Lord. Now, as we think about the Old Testament and think about the Psalms in particular, we need to see that there is a clear difference between the situation of the psalmist and the Christian at this point. And the difference is that that we cannot be separated from the presence of God in a way that the psalmist was. Uh, Because those who trust in Jesus uh, are with him. Jesus has fulfilled this psalm. And so he has fulfilled I take it the function that the temple played for the Old Testament believer Uh, Jesus is now the place of worship where we have access to God he is it's him not a temple built by human hands where we come to know and experience God and his presence Jesus is Emmanuel he's God with us and that, that is a very clear difference between us and the Old Testament believer, the writer of this psalm, for instance. But there's also something that we share in common with the writer of this psalm. We, like the psalmist, are not yet at home. We, at this moment, are currently separated from our heavenly homeland. We've not yet entered the visible, physical presence of God. We're not yet... Experiencing the glories of the resurrection and the life of the world to come. We do not live in the new creation in which all evil, including the residual evil within us, has been dealt with and purged away. The Apostle Paul said as much in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And we need to appreciate the fact that these psalms, psalms like this one, provide us songs to sing while we are away from the Lord. Songs which will at times be a a suitable way for us to express our bewilderment, our grief, even our complaint to God. These expressions are not inappropriate for God's people. They can be faith-filled and yet real complaint and expressions of grief. The problem is that there are some forms of Christianity being trotted out today that as far as I can tell have no place for psalms like these ones, which have no place for lament, uh, that have no place for human experiences other than for good and happy human experiences. Such forms of Christianity which tell the believer that God only has in store for them good things is unbiblical and therefore, in the end, unlivable. Yes, it is true. God is our Heavenly Father. Jesus is the one who died for us, rose again to ensure that we will have an eternal future with God. Of these things that we need not doubt. But people who have this faith will find themselves in situations where they feel like their faith is is a slender thread. When it feels like the prayers get no further than the ceiling. When it feels like God is not there. And for those moments, whether they be days or weeks or months, these psalms are there to be sung. I take it that's why they're there. Even Jesus, in his moment of greatest challenge, reached into the Psalms himself when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's okay to sing sad songs for a season. And it's okay to cry out to God, why? Why? If we give the impression that it's not okay, for us to sing songs like that, then what we really are doing is teaching something that is unbiblical, that is out of step with Scripture. But in the end, I think the goal of singing sad songs in the end, eventually, is positive. Part of that refrain that we've heard over and over in these psalms is, Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise my Saviour and my God. The important word being, yet. If the days and weeks and months of the present time are for you, uh, days in which you are singing sad songs, remember the word, yet. You will, again, enjoy God. For that is what you were made to do what we were all made to do. You will, again, enjoy it. It will happen. It may happen, if God is so gracious, it may happen in this life. For some of us, our circumstances mean that it won't happen until the life to come. But what we are called to do is to hang on to yet. For I will yet praise Him. loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he came to be for us the man of sorrows that he was willing to take on not simply human experience and with that suffering but indeed the sins of the world. And Father, we think and pray for ourselves and for those known to us who are going through a difficult season, a difficult days. We pray that we might preserve our faith Thank mm-hmm.